Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Hey, Zade. It's February 3rd. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, today we have some interesting news about the Miami Dolphins. It's been a minute since there's been some actual concrete news that we could kind of cling on to and discuss. So we have some news here about the team and their hiring of an offensive coordinator and how this is going to impact the team moving forward and just my general thoughts on this. We also have some news from around the NFL. You know, Matt Stafford, the quarterback formerly of the Detroit Lions, was traded to the Rams. And this has people, one, kind of connecting the dots about Deshaun Watson and just talking about the whole value of the quarterback position. So I want to talk about that trade, uh, the value that brings to the Rams, the Lions, and how that could impact a trade potentially for a guy like Deshaun Watson, who a lot of people are kind of connecting the dots with. And then the Super Bowl is coming up, so I want to give my thoughts, not necessarily a preview by any means, but just who I have to win and how I think the game could play out. But first, we're going to dive into the news about the Dolphins hiring an offensive coordinator. And I shouldn't say one offensive coordinator, because it is plural, and that is what makes the whole situation so interesting. The Dolphins elected to do an internal hiring of not just one coach as the offensive coordinator, but they're going to have a cooperation here, a little bit of a you know an offensive coordinator by committee per se, because they elect to promote running backs coach Eric Studsville to the offensive coordinator position alongside of George Godsey, who was a tight ends coach for the Dolphins. And so again, this is two internal hires and promoting them both to this co-offensive coordinator position. This has a lot of people, you know, up in arms because it's not necessarily a flashy move by any means. And just having a joint operation here, I could definitely see why some people are not in favor of it because it isn't the norm across the NFL. So I'm going to be giving my thoughts on this. Overall, I don't think this was a Dolphins first choice because I think it would have been announced earlier if this is a direction they wanted to go all along. I do think it's something that they're apparently content with doing and something that they think could work out for them. I do think this is something that would have came out a lot sooner if they weren't uh, exploring the idea of other guys and either it didn't work out because Miami didn't like the hire after looking at it deeper or the guys just elected to go and sign with another team or something like that. But overall, I just can't imagine that this was their first plan that they had in mind. But overall, it seems like a direction that they are, you know, fine with taking. Now, another reason why, if you're asking me why this may not be the best move is because we don't know what kind of offense, you know, design they have in mind for this team, you know, and especially when you have a rookie quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa, you would kind of hope to already have some structure in place. I initially didn't love the hiring of Chan Gailey, but one of the silver linings to me was, okay, this guy's experienced. He's been here for a long time. He has an offensive system with, you know, varying degrees of success. He hasn't worked tremendously, but at least it's concrete. It's already been structured and you could kind of plug Tua in there. Now, this one is a little bit concerning because if there's any sort of hiccups on their end, that could easily translate to the hiccups occurring with a young quarterback. So that is another issue that to me, I could see being a somewhat big red flag and something that's a little bit concerning. Now, things that are appealing is both of these guys have a lot of experience in the NFL. And another 
thing that some people are kind of alluding to is this idea that potentially you have one of the guys in Studsville who is focused on the running side of the offense, and then you have Godsey who is focused on the passing side. So that is a very interesting prospect. Having two guys that are kind of focused individually on their side of the offense and kind of hone in on that, bring it together, and have a really good just overall game plan. That's a very interesting, and I think one that could offer a lot of promise, something that not just in football, but in all aspects of life that people kind of succumb to over time is this idea of groupthink, you know, checks and balances, not having somebody there to check you when you're wrong. And I think this is kind of a a system that is in place where you're going to have one guy kind of check in with the other. They're going to be able to come to uh, one concise, complete agreement on a play, and it could work out in the benefit of the team. So overall, it's tough and it's strange. It's enough for me to say that I can't love the move just because it is so foreign and is so, you know, not typical to see. But at the same time with what we've seen from the Dolphins and how they have been able to rebuild and every move they make at this point seems to be the right one aside from uh, the past few offensive coordinators. They've been doing a pretty good job and I like their track record as of late. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But do you have to like it? You know, Dolphins talk. Mike over there made a great point. I could totally agree with you guys not liking the move and I could totally agree with you guys being in love with it. The stance that I'm going to take though is I'm just going to wait and see because I think the Dolphins have done enough lately to deserve that. But again, overall, if there has been any knock on the team as of late, it's been the struggle to find an offensive coordinator. I think initially when it came to Chad O'Shea, uh, his offense really struggled at the beginning of the season. But towards the tail end, I thought it really picked up to the uh, level that I was a little bit shocked when they let him go. And then all the reports came out that how much of an internal battle it was between him and the players and not understanding everything. So that made it make more sense. And then when it came to Chan Gailey, there was just a huge lack of creativity. And I think the general sentiment was that the offense was way too plain, way too vanilla. And then when it came to Chan Gailey resigning, I think a lot of people were very, uh, you know, happy with the idea of getting a new offensive coordinator. And this is the direction the Dolphins are going to take. So again, this will be interesting to monitor. And there's also reports that Dolphins quarterback coach Charlie Fry will also be heavily involved in making this offense. So again, this is just a huge group project the way I'm looking at it. The only negative that I can see right now is that I'm hoping that any of the hiccups on their end don't translate to a hindrance in uh, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa because we saw how good the team is, that prospect of them actually being able to make a run this upcoming season. And I would hate for that to be held back because of this whole offensive coordinator situation. But overall, I'm going to keep an optimistic approach because the Dolphins have done enough to deserve that. Now, a few days ago, we had the first blockbuster trade of the offseason, and it was because the Lions dealt quarterback Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams for two first-round picks and for Jared Goff, and that's all going to the Lions in exchange for Matthew Stafford. Now, a lot of people are kind of uh, connecting the dots here and saying, wow, if that is what it takes to get Matt Stafford, uh, you know, a veteran who is, you know, not a top five quarterback, a guy who is, you know, maybe top 10, top 15 at times, uh, depending on how he plays. Uh, He's definitely on the older side. How much is it going to take to get Deshaun Watson? And something that I think people are forgetting here is that one, uh, you know, the Lions here are paying to take Jared Goff's contracts off the hands of the Rams. The Rams are in a difficult spot where they gave Jared Goff a massive contract. It's clear that he is not enough to get them to win a Super Bowl. And if you look at how the 
Rams are built. They are built absolutely in a win-now state, and that is why I think the Rams, in this case, didn't have a lot of leverage in this trade. Everybody across the league knows when you look at the Rams and those some of those massive contracts they have and them trading all those first-round picks and just the amount of talent they have right now with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, a solid receiver group, a good running back across the board. Their window to winning a Super Bowl was last season. Their window is this upcoming season. It isn't two or three years down the road. It is right now. And they needed to make a move to get a quarterback that could, uh, you know, help them take that next step and get to the next level. So from that aspect, I can't knock the Rams, even though they gave up a ton to get Stafford. I think Stafford has a ton of upside. I think if you surround him with the right weapons and a defense that could take some of the pressure off, I think he could be, you know, in the mix for one of those guys who's been solid throughout his career and just explodes for an MVP season like we saw with Matt Ryan that one year where they got to the Super Bowl. I think Matthew Stafford, from a talent perspective, from the experience, is that good that he is capable of doing that just in one season's notice. So again, I'm not going to knock the Rams here, even though they gave up a ton, just because I do think they're in a win-now state. I mentioned in the previous episodes that parades over prospects, they gave up a ton, but it will all be worth it if they do get that Super Bowl ring. So that makes sense to me on their end. And in the previous episodes, I also talked about how you don't need the first round talent necessarily to have serviceable weapons. And if you look at the Rams, they're a perfect example. They haven't had a first round pick since they got Jared Goff back in 2016. Yet I don't think anybody was ever going to complain about the weapons they had on their offense because they are that good and they were able to find talent later or they were able to get guys in free agency. Overall, though, they gave up a ton, and I don't know if this necessarily changes anything when I look at what Deshaun Watson is going to warrant in a trade, because overall, I don't think it's changing, but now Texans reporter John McClain came out and said that the Texans would want two first-rounders, a second-rounder, and two viable defensive starters that could be plugged in and play immediately for the Texans in a trade for Deshaun Watson, and honestly, I don't think that sounds as bad as giving up something like four or five first round picks, which is, I think, possible for a team like the Jets to just throw a massive deal for Watson. But when they say they want two serviceable defensive starters, I think that makes it more appealing for the Dolphins to be in the mix here because they could do that. You have Xavier Howard who has battled injuries. He's coming off of a defensive player of the year season. But if it gets to the point where that contract that he wants is apparently too big and the Dolphins deem it not worthy, they could elect to move him. And he would be a guy that could be moved to the Texans who desperately need help in the the secondary and then if you combine it with another defensive player and then you potentially throw in those two first round picks all of a sudden you have Deshaun Watson and you didn't even have to give up Tua and then from that point if the team wants to deal some uh, to Tua somewhere else that has a quarterback situation that's in dire need maybe a team like the 49ers you could get some more picks out of that but overall I think the Texans wanting defensive starters makes it less of a blow than giving up just a ton of first round picks. So uh, a team like the Dolphins, I guess, could be in the mix. But overall, the more and more I look at it, 
The Dolphins on Twitter put in their bio over there, if you go check out their account, it says Ohana, which first of all, I saw a lot of people putting the definition to Ohana, which was striking to me because it tells me a lot of people didn't watch Lilo and Stitch, you know, that cartoon with the little blue alien. But in that cartoon, something that's said frequently and overall just constantly in that show is Ohana means family and family means no one gets left behind. And the Dolphins Twitter account elected to post that, of course, to us from Hawaii. And they put that as their bio amidst all these rumors that maybe the Dolphins will ship to us somewhere else. And to me, that would just be an absolutely savage move for the Dolphins to be so heavily in support of Tua, to put that in their bio and then go out and ship them. And the more and more I look at it, I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this whole Watson trade isn't going to happen. Maybe the Dolphins are completely content with rolling with Tua and him being the guy and they're fine with building around him and they don't want to rock the boat. And I think that is completely entirely possible and maybe I'm digging too much into a Twitter bio but I just think it would be absolutely savage if the Dolphins were you know willing to do that you know I think back about Cliff Kingsbury trading Josh Rosen just weeks after saying that Josh is our guy and that would be at the same level but at the end of the day the NFL is a business I can't rule out anything completely but I just have to think that that had to have uh, you know kind of lowered the chances just a little bit now before we talk about the Super Bowl really quick I have a comment that I got on my last episode of the podcast and I delved deep into the importance of the quarterback position and how I think uh, you know having an elite level quarterback could raise the play of the skill position players that are around them and somebody commented here it was Ramo 1990 he said you're missing a key point he said I agree with the weapons argument that you mentioned however you are missing that the O-line still needs to build Watson took a lot of sacks the stats are great and dandy but it doesn't matter if you don't win and have to scramble a lot just to make plays. You mentioned great quarterbacks that have players that weren't drafted in the first round still succeed, but they still have to have a great O-line in time. It does matter is what he said. And to that comment, I want to say I completely agree. I did say a lot in the last episode that the quarterback position is the most important in all of sports, but if you're asking me what unit and completely, you know, just co- a cohesive unit on the field is the most important. You can make a strong argument for it being the offensive line because it is that important. Something that I did reference a lot back in the previous episodes was Dak Prescott. When he entered in his rookie season behind the best offensive line in football, he had a tremendous rookie season. It didn't really require much from him, and he had plenty of time to throw the ball. On top of that, behind that offensive line, you had a rookie running back in Ezekiel Elliott who had over a thousand yards rushing and was just running up, dicing up defenses. And trust me, that will make your passing game as well a lot better when you're not one-dimensional. When you can run the ball at will, a team has to stack the box to have success against uh, the run, then you're opening up the passing game as well. It's all just one complete cohesive unit when it comes to the offensive line and them being successful is a huge aspect. And trust me, I understand uh, where you're coming from. It's not just as simple as plugging Watson in behind a bad offensive line, but I will say I think the Dolphins offensive line when I was watching them this season most of the time I thought they looked average maybe at times especially towards the tail end of the season they were below average but I'm expecting those guys to improve you know you had a lot of young guys and still you can plug in some veterans maybe draft another guy to improve on the offensive line I would never be mad at the Dolphins going that direction because it is that important but I am expecting these young guys on the offensive line to continue to get better 
better. So I'm not completely dismissing the idea that the offensive line doesn't need to be addressed, but I'm hoping these young guys continue to get better and I'm hoping it continues to trend upwards when I look at the offensive line for the Dolphins. Now, uh, to get into the Super Bowl here really quick, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing at home the first time in Super Bowl history that a team will be playing in their home stadium going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the first thing everyone wants to ask is, well, who do you think is going to win this game? And it's interesting because on both sides of the ball, you have guys that are hard to bet against. Tom Brady in the regular season is one thing, but in the postseason, he's a completely different animal that makes it very hard to bet against him. But at the same time, you have Patrick Mahomes, who is kind of entering into his own realm of success at this young, early age, already in the conversation for one of the best starts to uh, a young quarterback ever. So it's also hard to go against the idea of Patrick Mahomes coming out there and winning. So if you look at the Buccaneers, very underrated defense. We've all seen just the abundance of weapons they have when it comes to their receivers. You have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown gets buried in that depth chart somehow, but he is extremely talented. They have Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones who have been tremendous. And again, a very underrated defense. And then if you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, just the most electric offense. And I think what was the most complete team throughout the regular season. So if you're asking me who I think is going to come out the winner of this game, I'm going to lean here with the Kansas City Chiefs just because more often than not, they were more consistent in the regular season. They had a few down games, but overall, I think the road to get here for the Buccaneers was a rocky one and it could unravel for them quick. We saw Tom Brady have several games where he threw a bunch of picks and the arm didn't look as electric as it needed to be. And just overall, betting against Patrick Mahomes against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offense is just not something that I would want to do. So I'm thinking here, the Kansas City Chiefs come out with the win in the Super Bowl. Guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. As always, if you have any comments or questions, things you would like for me to discuss, feel free to send them to me on Twitter at ShadySteven or at via the source. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It would help a ton. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.